Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Uh, this is Jiro Taylor, the host and uh, the founder of Flow State and the host of Flow Tribe, the community for flow seekers from all around the world. So um, what's been on my mind today is, is wildness. I've been thinking a lot about wildness, a lot about domestication and a lot about all the subtle ways in which we are domesticated. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that all of growth or all of the, the personal development or self-expansion exploratory work that I do and I help others to do is actually about a return to nature or a return to the wildness and whether that's through the way that we eat, the way that we move, the way that we make love, the way that we communicate, the way that we perceive ourselves. Um, it's all about coming to a more original wisdom. All of the ways in which we um, are conditioned and denatured, domesticated, it's just, it's a really powerful part of the awakening process is realizing the subtleties of the programming um, that we are subjected to. And a fundamental part of um, dealing with this, therefore, the most powerful, the potentially the only way, in fact, yes, the only way to approach domestication is for you to consciously go down a path of rewilding and so I just want to encourage everybody who's listening to this show to do what they can do what you can to to immerse in nature like spend as much time as possible in nature even if you live in New York City or Johannesburg or some other metropolis just get your feet on the ground from time to time climb a tree like go just be with a tree um, feel the sun on your face if, if possible, sit in places of wildness where you cannot see the hand of man. There's a profoundly healing component to, to that practice. Get inside, get in ocean, get in lake, get in bodies of water. Immerse yourself in, in bodies of water. See what happens, feel what happens. And remember that you have the possibility to return to your inner nature, which is the same as nature. It's all nature. You have the possibility to return to nature anytime by just closing your eyes tuning in to what is within and taking a few deep breaths and remembering that life is a dream. <laughs> life is a dream. We are nature and we have this opportunity to play in this beautiful playground called Earth. So let's not take it so seriously. So without further ado, I want to introduce uh, this week's guest. Today I'm speaking to um, Fuad Kassab, who is a food educator a chef, a blogger, um, someone who's doing wonderful work, a restaurateur, someone who's doing wonderful work to educate people on what it means to be wild and to eat in wild ways and to nourish ourselves, both nutritionally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, it's a very beautiful conversation, flowing conversation. Um, and Fuad shares his life story of um, living... I guess his upbringing was 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 one of um, great trauma and a lot of synthetic kind of inputs into his being, which manifested in, uh, yeah, a lot of dysfunction and a lot of health problems. And Fuad has overcome that through a process of rewilding himself. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's really beautiful to hear some of his philosophizing. He's a he's a he's a he's a man of profound wisdom and depth. And I think you'll get a lot from hearing um, how he explains um, 
optimal health and happiness and just living a good life. He's got some very interesting perspectives and ways of explaining living in the flow of life. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here today with uh, Fuad. Fuad Kassab, how are you, buddy? Good, Jira. How's it going, man? Awesome. I'm really excited about this chat. Um, just for the listeners out there, um, just help us lo- kind of like geolocate where you're at right now. Where are you, where are you physically in time and space? I'm in the sunny Blue Mountains, um, just out of Sydney, an hour and a half out of town, and um, just uh, looking back at National Park, a really good spot, and uh, if I come across as calm, it's really the calm of the area, so it's, it's a great day, and thanks for having me on the show, Jira. No problems at all. So, yeah, for those listening who uh, want to know where I'm at, I'm sitting in Manly, I'm, obs- I'm looking at the Sydney Harbour right now, it's a beautiful sunny day. Um, and life is good. So I've been excited about getting Fuad on the show. Um, he was introduced by a, by a mutual friend of ours. And I think that what we're going to talk about today, we never know what's going to come up, but we're definitely going to be talking about food and we're definitely going to be talking about nutrition and we're definitely going to be talking about how these, um, how, how we fuel ourselves fits into this discussion around um, optimal health expanding our awareness, and generally living the lives that we all want to live. Um, so, Fuad, give us a little bit of an idea of, of what you do. Absolutely. So, Jiro, you would have heard over, I guess, you know, ever since you were born, there's a lot of contradicting statements when it comes to health and nutrition. So, like, we, you and I grew up in an era where fat was a big problem and everyone was telling you to stay away from cholesterol and, and it's going to give you heart disease and things like that. We have a lot of people talking about the importance of eating like a vegan diet these days. Um, There's um, documentaries on Netflix, like What the Health, that's claiming that eating an egg a day is as bad as smoking five cigarettes a day, which makes me laugh. So I've quit, you know, eating eggs and now I'm having a pack a day and I I feel amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I had two packs this morning. Fantastic, man. There you go. And just cut out the eggs and you'll be fine. (laughs) But... All these contradictory statements, like we know that um, now, for instance, just it was one or two years ago, back on the cover of the New York Times, um, sorry, on Time magazine, I mean, um, there was a, a big um, cover that said butter is back. And it was talking about how butter was demonized and now it's back in people's diets and <clears throat> we stopped eating margarine. So I guess what I'm super interested in is uh, looking at what a proper human diet should look like. And... Um, is science really where we should be going to trust health and nutrition guidelines or is the government supposed to be able to tell us what to do or how do we actually make the differentiation? And um, there's a, a food writer, uh, he's quite prolific, his name is Michael Pollan and he wrote a book called The Omnivore's Dilemma and in it he outlined this idea that um, unlike dedicated um, herbivores or carnivores, so like animals that will eat either just uh, vegetables or will eat just meat, uh, we are an omnivore. So we have this ability to switch our uh, dietary sources between meat and vegetables. And um, this gave us an evolutionary advantage, which allowed us to thrive in many, many different areas around the world. So you, you have people who live on primarily a, a vegetarian diet, say in India, but you have the Inuit who are eating a lot of meat, um, mainly like seal meat and 
they eat very little vegetables, but, um, you know, these cultures still do really well because of our omnivorous nature. But um, the problem becomes is when, when uh, foods enter our diet and we start eating them and they're not really suited for us, we don't have the ability to know because we can't in, intuit what's uh, a food and what's not a food because of our omnivorous uh abilities as human beings so mm-hmm. then now in the world that we live in there's a lot of foods that have entered our diet which we aren't able to identify uh, whether they're good or bad uh, and it's become a really long long and large scientific exper- experiment uh, with the human population all across the world and we're seeing the detrimental effects of these foods on us and now for you know the first time in history, I think you know at the peak of our so-called civilization in 2017, a guy like me has to go and tell people what's food and what's poison, <laughs> and I find that to be really uh, sad. Um, but this is where, where I've landed in my life. This is they're, they're the gifts that have been given to me to be able to articulate these ideas and to have actually gone through a health crisis myself. That informed me a lot and educated me a lot on this topic and kept pushing me to dig deeper and deeper into this topic so that I became so well informed in order to overcome my own health crisis and then to take this message out to the wider world. So that's what I do today. Mm. Thank you, Fouad, for explaining that and thank you for stepping up to be a food educator because you're right, we absolutely need this. Um, there's a lot of we're swimming against the tide of a, an immense amount of cultural brainwashing and just sheer ignorance, <laughs> um, combined with like capitalistic intent to uh, because there's a lot of money in yeah. food, right? Absolutely, yeah, in, in industrialized food especially because they can take something um, that they would throw away otherwise and they mm. will turn it, put it in a vat, deodorize it, uh, color it add all sorts of artificial flavorings and preservatives, call it margarine, and then create an industry body that says, no, this is really good for you, and give it the heart foundation tick, <laughs> and then put it in the supermarket and then tell people, hey, this is better for you than something that comes naturally out of a cow, and now you should be eating that, otherwise you're going to die. Uh, and if you if you do eat that, we're going to make a lot of money, so come on, help us make some money. So definitely. And this is the big thing about health now, is a lot of people will look at health from maybe – like science looks at it at a cellular perspective which is really myopic and um, there's a saying I once heard that you know trying to figure out disease they were talking about cancer they're saying like if you're trying to figure out cancer uh, by looking at the cells it's sort of like trying to figure out the traffic jam by looking at the internal combustion engine you know it's <laughs> not it's completely unholistic in its perspective but then we also have um, holistic health practitioners who look at the, the human person and they say oh well let's look at your lifestyle and all that kind of stuff so they believe themselves to be even more holistic than uh western science or um medical the medical institution as it is at the moment but i feel even that is uh myopic in its, in its outlook and um, that if we take a further step back we see that the individual disease symptoms of a of a person whether they've got cancer heart disease depression anxiety autoimmune all that kind of stuff they actually come as a result of a sick society and this society is sick in uh, the way that it views itself it, the way it views nature as it's uh, you know something different to it something to overcome and something to uh, destroy for profit and uh, a child who is born into this world could for 
instance, end up being the CEO of a company that genetically modifies grains, uh, creates these uh, Franken foods that we have never ingested ever in our history. And then from there, they will push forward to you know spray all our foods with uh, pesticides and chemicals and to try to maximize all the profits by pushing down the farmers and uh, a child that is then born out of a world that's eating this way will manifest the uh, symptoms of disease in a variety of different ways so mine for instance was obesity and inflammation and really severe acne and if you'd like i can i can talk a little bit about my story there or whatever yeah yeah yeah. yeah sure so yeah talk to talk to us tell us a little bit about yeah, your your childhood because I know you you grew up in a in a place very far away culturally and geographically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and how that's informed your life now. So I was born in Lebanon in 1980. This was the peak of the civil war, and um, during that time, Lebanon was receiving a lot of uh, international aid. So things like white flour, white sugar, uh, ultra pasteurized cheese, uh, spam. We loved spam. That was like one of our favorite things to eat. Um, we're getting uh, a lot of vegetable oils, like the cold vegetable oils. There's actually no vegetable in them, but this is the stuff that everyone was sending because it was uh, shelf stable. And uh, on top of that, there was the stress of being born into a war. So I remember uh, most of my early years were spent in a bunker or getting to the bunker. Uh, with bombs falling around and you know you can drive from one place to the other because there were snipers and um, you would be killed uh, at a you know pop-up barricade that killed you based on your religion which was actually written on your identity card back then so you can get away from it so very very stressful and then on top of that for the Lebanese people um, in order to avoid hospitalization if you ever got sick but also due to a lack of education I was given a lot of antibiotics so they were like a yearly regimen um, if my fever went to 38.5 my mom would put me on antibiotics straight away even though it was a viral infection and didn't do anything for me so now we know that if you wanted to create chronic illness in anyone you will put them on highly refined industrialized food you stress the heck out of them and then you give them antibiotics and that will do the trick so if there's someone that you don't like out there jira you can just uh, put them on this kind of diet and you can guarantee chronic illness and for me that started coming out really in an early early age so i was um um, born obese so this is an epigenetic epigenetic expression from uh, my mother's state so my mom was under that stress eating that kind of food so i was born out of that so my gene expression was one already pointing to chronic illness and then later on when i was uh, 12 13 years old i started getting recurring ear infections that were so vicious mm. i used to have to get um, antibiotic injections i did that for three years six months on six months off and able to deal with these ear infections issues the doctor never tried to deal with the underlying issue of course that's never the the way with western medicine they deal with the symptom of the disease so they were dealing with the infection rather than what was causing this infection in my ears and then i turned 17 and i started getting acne that was very very vicious this stuff took over my whole body from head to toe it started off underneath you know my hair at the hair follicle and then it spread throughout my uh, arms my chest my back my legs and um, the doctors, you know, again, I think they thought I had an antibiotic deficiency or something. So they gave me more antibiotics. Oh they're like, ah. yeah. So they're like, we know what this guy needs. He's just missing antibiotics in his life. So they threw more of that at me. And um, here, you know, like I'm 
putting on weight day by day, getting more and more inflamed. And then I came to Australia in 2001 to study software engineering. And here, the doctors did more of the same. Like, it wasn't a matter of education or anything. Like, it's not like Lebanon's a third world country or anything. They did exactly the same thing. They gave more, more antibiotics. Then I developed eczema on top of that. And um, eczema came when I was around 23. And then I became really, really itchy. I had, like, hay fever. And I'd scratch until I'd bleed. I'd have have the acne on top of that, uh, really, like you know, full of pus, man. I don't want to give you guys a lot of, you know, <laughs> so I'll maybe I'll, I'll give you like three, four seconds to take a deep <laughs> breath and let, let go of that image, you know. But mm. um, this is where I was at, my brother, and um, I didn't know what to do. To uh, my focus was always on weight because you know I tried to lose a lot of weight. I was always told that I was fat because I ate too much and I exercised too little. And um, so I would starve myself and I would put myself in these really extreme, um, well, conditions. You know, I'd be eating very, very little, like 500 calories a day, and I'd be pushing myself physically to exercise Mm. because I'm told that um, I'm naturally lazy. And because I'm lazy, I'm fat. And so I saw that as a character flaw and I would, um, you know, basically beat my body into submission and able to lose weight. Of course I would lose weight because I was not eating. And then when I started eating again, the weight would come back with vengeance. And I peaked in 2011 at 128 kilos and, um, didn't know what to do. I had a daughter. She was one year old at the time and she was perfect. She had none of my health issues and I was working as a software engineer at uh, one of the big banks. Mm. And I had um, a, a uh, I guess, wouldn't call it a midlife crisis at the time, but like a more kind of like a midlife crisis. I guess, you know, you're looking for purpose. You're looking for understanding. You're looking for why you are here on this planet, what you're here to do. And there's a feeling inside me that I was meant to do something different than what I was doing. Um, I was in this gilded cage, I call it, you know, like in a really highly paid corporate job working as yeah. a manager. And and it just wasn't doing it for me, uh, at least not at the physical level. So my health was continuing to get worse over the years. And I thought, well, what's the point? You know, mm. like I can't do anything about my health. What, why am I, you know, living this life at all? So I decided to take a year off and get a little bit of clarity on my life and see what I was going to do. And I decided to starve myself again because I wanted to be able to keep up with my one-year-old daughter, at least, you know, to be able to be with her as, as physically as a dad, mm. despite the, the acne and the eczema and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, um, uh, I um, after I quit, I came across an article in the New York Times by a science writer called Gary Torbs, and he was talking about the um, the way weight actually um, is partitioned in the body. So he was giving an alternate hypothesis to the calories in, calories out hypothesis, and he was saying, well, the body, this this idea of calories is just the word that we've made up to. It, describe something that doesn't actually exist in the human body it's just a concept the body deals um with metabolism it doesn't deal with calories it's not a calorie counting machine in fact you can take a human being and um 
take, for instance, all the uh, insulin, like let's say a type 1 diabetic who doesn't produce insulin, mm-hmm. you can give them all the calories that you want. They're just not going to put on weight because they don't have the metabolic engineering to be able to do it. And he was talking about insulin being the uh, hormone that regulated weight gain and weight loss. Mm-hmm. And he was proposing a low-carb diet. Now, in the meantime, uh, while I was doing all this kind of stuff, I'd, I'd had a side career in food. So I started the first ever Middle Eastern food blog in the world. It was called thefoodblog.com.au, which became really popular. From there, the Sydney Morning Herald invited me to join their Good Food Guide review team. So, you know, here I am, an IT guy by day and by night. I'm going out to all these crazy restaurants around Australia, eating the most amazing food and writing critically about it. So I deepened that relationship that I had with food and I started understanding more and more about things like sustainability and soil health and locality and seasonality and food miles. These are words that I'd sort of come across but never really, really focused on. But when I started uh, going down this path with food, I started eating more at farmer's markets. And then when I read that article that made a really convincing argument that, hey, weight loss is going to be partitioned by what you eat, not how much you eat, I decided to give it a go. So I went on a low-carb diet, but because I wasn't eating any processed foods at the time, um, I was just no eating no grains or anything like that, I started uh, eating what turned out to be a low-carb paleo diet. And that was not really in mainstream media. Paleo wasn't the thing. I just realized a year into it, uh, uh, holy crap, actually, I'm, I've been eating paleo. I just didn't know it. Like paleo, no one knew about paleo. Then, you know, it took another year or two before it became popular. Yeah. But what I saw within like a few weeks, um, here I am, you know, like eating like the most amazing food and not really limiting myself for the first time ever, just eating all this incredible food, like loads of butter and things like that on top of it and I'm going I'm definitely going to die from all this cholesterol worried like I'm going to put on so much weight because I'm eating like 4,000 calories a day if you count them you know that's some old school thinking you know that I'm going to balloon but I'd get on the scale week after week and my weight was trending downwards and I just couldn't believe what was going on it was incredible to me that you know like my body was behaving completely against what mainstream science was saying but a few weeks into it i went through something called the low carb wall you get like the, the low carb flu when your body makes a switch from uh, burning glucose as its primary fuel source to burning fat and um at that point like it was really hard as it made the switch but when it made the switch i woke up one day and i felt absolutely incredible my brain had switched on for the first time ever in my life i realized i've been running on handicap all, all my life that despite all the things that i achieved you know i was only at 40 percent of what i was capable of at that day everything was great like my mood was better and i just felt amazing and you know during that first year i lost 24 kilos without counting the calories. I was just counting them to brag to my friends about how much I was eating. I lost them without exercising. But what happened later on is I felt the urge to exercise after I'd healed. Mm. So exercise came back later in the picture for me. I wasn't forcing a an inflamed body to do the exercise, which is a really good idea as well. Like you just need to work with your body. But on top of that, man, within uh, six months or so, all the acne and eczema disappeared. Like mm-hmm. this is stuff I've been 
you know, medicating for you know, since I was 17 years old, and here I was 31 and a half years old. That's when I figured out for myself what I should be doing, and all these things that the doctors were always telling me that this is just how I was born. This is my luck. This is what's gonna have to continue to happen for the rest of my life, and I'm gonna have to continue to medicate. It all went away. Thousands of dollars I'd spent at specialists who couldn't give me answers, and the answer was in the food that I put in my mouth. And that was just an incredible, empowering experience for me. Mm. Just that. Wow. And, yeah, that, man. That food is thy medicine. <laughs> That's it, man. You know, like the oldest lesson in, in, in biology, but mm-hmm. we're still trying to figure it out today. So, Wow, man. Wow, what a story. So where are you now in terms of how you feel and, and the balance that you've struck? Um, because obviously as, you, as we go through these, discoveries in our life there can be a, a tendency to become radicalized you know yeah, you, yeah so w- w- where are you now so yeah like initially uh, in the first few years i was really upset at um, the medical industry i thought they were cheating us they're trying to capitalize off our illness and uh, i used to get upset about it and was very very vocal and angry about it and I would talk to everyone I met, but I realized that actually this is uh, not the best thing to do. Um, and I realized that you have to choose your time and place to do these things. And um, so, you know, people come to it when they're ready. Like, I, I love this parable from uh, the Bible where, like, Jesus says about the seed sower. I'm not sure if you remember that one. But it's an awesome story where they say the seed sower threw his seeds out and some landed on the rocks where the birds came and ate them and some landed on shallow soil where they just didn't have enough nutrition for them to actually grow into anything so they died and then some landed on fertile soil and they turned into mighty trees for which the birds come and take shelter you know and and this is really now my my message is to look at look for those people who are ready to receive this message and make a change in their life so that um, when the seed that I plant, I don't scatter them around because I, you know, I don't have enough energy to throw these things around. I just need to put them in the right place. So it seems that people come to you when they're ready rather than you looking for them. So this has just been my experience. So my, now I have a business uh, with which I'm a partner with a woman called uh, Joe Witten. It's called Quirky Cooking, the business. We reach Four million people of our blog each year. We talk about healthy cooking. We also have a cookbook that came out in April this year called Life Changing Food. And it teaches people this kind of stuff that I'm talking to you about now. Like, what is food? And we, we actually haven't really gotten into that yet. But, um, but the book talks, goes into details about that and teaches people how to come back to health um, by eating natural foods. And, um, we also have a, a really large following on Facebook with around close to 270,000 people now on Facebook. Um, so it's um, it's a really big online community and we travel around Australia uh, showing people the basic art of cooking, getting them inspired to do it at home, mm-hmm. re-empowering families to take um, ownership of what goes into their mouths and their children's mouths, educating them how to make a decision between mm-hmm. what is food and what is not. 
And um, this is really my life's work is to feed people this message and this, uh, these ideas. Yeah. And it, to me, yeah, it's a, it's a great pleasure for me because as you know, like when you find one avenue to wellness, it opens you up to various aspects within yourself. Like so you'll find emotional wellness, you'll find uh, physical wellness, you'll find spiritual wellness. All these things, they one leads to the other. So to me, to be able to turn people on to all these facets of wellness just through something as simple and undeniable as whole foods it's just the most empowering thing for me and i love it man that's that, mm. so that's my work beautiful man i i appreciate the way that you've kind of ex- accepted or you've gone through the process of seeing what you can do something about and focusing your energies on that because sometimes i get caught in these rabbit holes where i'm like i i, I get incensed at the criminality of mm, what's yeah. happening and um, I, I you know i get caught in these mindsets of like how is this even legal how how can yes. people label food like that how how can this how can it be that i've got a government that tells me that i can't i don't know smoke a certain weed or eat a certain mushroom yeah but they're also just blatantly endorsing lying and and uh you know very 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 destructive practices so how did how did you avoid going down that kind of like I don't know. I don't know whether it's useful or not, but how how did you manage yeah. to transform it into something so practical, hands-on and and empowering as you said? Well, look to to be to be honest, to to actually deny the fact that I am uh, I still experience outrage or anger or uh feel like I just came back from Melbourne. We we went to Echuca, did a seminar for 170 people, and then I spent a few days in Melbourne CBD, and I was walking around, and I saw young kids eating McDonald's and throwing the rubbish on the street, and I saw women walking around in the streets where, like, they've had the, they've had to wake up that morning and put face paint on and wear high heels and pluck their eyebrows to you know, change who they are and what they look like to represent themselves in this male you know, dominated world. And then I walk next to these guys who were in the sixties wearing, you know, really uh, tight collars and ties around their necks, talking about taking some kind of idea to the board meeting. And I felt sickened by this whole thing, you know, like I just, and it really imprinted itself on me. So I'm not going to say that I don't, I don't have that, those feelings that you have. And sometimes those frustrations that I, that you experience, man, we share these things. Of course, I find them, they're really good fuel though to work Mm. with, to, to continue to go, well, look, you know, this is true. This is going on. This is what I'm, why I'm doing my work. Because if this wasn't, you know, happening, then, um, you know, my, um, I wouldn't be doing this and be, the people who needed it around me in my community wouldn't have my energy d- directed towards it. If I wasn't aware of this stuff, if I, if it didn't make me sick. So, um, there's room for the negative or the shadow to motivate you and make you, sure. uh, do something more, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but, but this is the work of a, a healer in, in the community and you, you are one zero. So your message is one of healing. So we, we know that as a healer, you will take on sickness. I mean, this is part, part of the burden that you carry. Mm. You, can, you can't deny it. You have to accept it and to just pretend that, hey, man, I'm having the best life because I've got it all sorted out and figured out and I feel like I've come to terms with everything in this world. 
Yeah, man, I don't think that that's ever true. I think, you know, as long as you have a, a human body and you live in a, a human society, you're going to have those ups and downs. So mm. that's like, but I guess the healing for you comes back to nature. So just like me, like I, you mentioned before the podcast, you were doing all the surfing and all that kind of stuff. So what happens happened to me is after I came back from Melbourne, I went to my Sit, sitting rock i have this rock which overlooks complete wilderness just minutes away from my house and i just go there and i went there with like so much anger and i sat around and i was listening and the cicadas were you know so loud and the birds were singing and the wind was blowing through the trees and the trees were like by thousands of them I was like, oh my God, I'm actually the only one complaining here. Everyone else is, is fine, you know? And uh, and just sitting, sitting in stillness in my natural habitat, habitat um, which is not your home. It's not like the home that you and I are sitting in now. Actually, nature is our habitat. When we sit there in stillness and peace, all we need to do is marinate in that environment and it recharges and heals us. So my advice to anyone who's in this kind of line of work or is feeling down by the world, this um, <laughs> this world of concepts that we've built, um, you just need to detach from that by attaching yourself to the planet. Mm-hmm. And then you'll find the strength in yourself to continue with your work. Beautiful. Let's talk about this part of your journey, this, this, this connecting in with nature. Um, it, seems, it seems that the, when you look at the food industry, it, I think industry is the, is the best word to use. Like The word industry to me um, is all about machines and scaling and, and numbers and you know, like it, it, it's an economical impulse that drives industry. Um, yeah. and there's a sort of artificiality about it. Um, and then there's, and then there's nature and yeah. there's the fact that, um, food, just food and live pr- produce just is, is like an expression of nature. And yeah, yeah, this, this like fundamental disconnect obviously happens v- very, very early on. And so connecting in with nature like when like you said you moved to australia when you were a young man you were still suffering from lots of health issues was it was there a part of your journey in which you began to connect with out out of nature inner nature yeah so uh, the distinction is actually null and void to be honest between the inner one and the outer one Mm. and um a lot of people, you know, they say things like, you know, I've stopped looking outside of me. And then they start looking inside of them as if, like, the outside world isn't actually inside of them. Um, but I, I feel – let me focus on one one aspect of – to talk about the food for one thing. And let's get this one out of the way. And then we'll go back to nature, right? So if we, if we are to look at what's really – um, the healthiest food that you can eat. What are the 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 um, guidelines that we can give people? And I'm not talking about a specific diet to restore you from illness, because there's definitely a whole variety of stuff and a whole variety of techniques, including things like fasting, even that can be given for you to return to health. But to focus on what's really the best kind of food for human beings the best food is wild living food like this is it and the best water is wild living water and the best kind of movement is wild movement 
And the best kind of sleep is wild sleep, and the best kind of behavior is wild behavior. <laughs> this is really the, the, the truth about human beings. Mm. So we've gone through a process um, called domestication as we moved away from being uh, hunter-gatherers to becoming agrarians, where we domesticated ourselves and our animals. And the result of this is the industrialized food system that we live in. If we hadn't gone down that path, we'd still be living uh, in a wild way. That doesn't mean like we're living in caves or anything like that. the, uh, there's a lot of uh, indigenous cultures around the world where they actually looked and cared after the wild. So they were they they tended the wild. They've um, they planted wilderness areas, but not in the kind of monoculture approach that we have now. So that, that split being a world meant that we investigated and through domestication. And every species that you domesticate goes through a process called neoteny. Have you heard of that term? Say, say the word again. Neoteny. 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 Yeah, or you, you become neotenized. No, I don't so, know. So it's the retention of um, childhood uh, behaviors or characteristics onto adulthood. Right. So, uh, so, for instance, wolves... Um, they wolf cubs look like puppies when they're young they have floppy tails and floppy ears but then when they grow up like they they get their ears go straight you know mm-hmm. and they become adult wolves and they're like the man version of the of the puppy mm-hmm. but the dog has been neotenized because it's been domesticated and retains the floppiness of the ears and all that kind of those childlike characteristics so then as human beings, we have this neoteny that takes place in us as well, and we never experience true adulthood at all. We just we don't experience it. And the reason for that is because we've been domesticated. So as we move more towards a connection with nature, the neoteny starts getting undone, and you can turn into an adult finally for the first time in your life. You know, this is the, the process of nature. You go back to your uh, world and you undo those childhood characteristics, and it's very, very vital and important for a human being growing up and turning into a man. But these things um, have... How can I put it? So um, you, you felt it in yourself. Would would I say? Would I be able to say that that once you've connected to nature, you felt like there's been a shift inside you that there's a change that happened? Would you Would you agree? Yeah, one hundred. All right. All right. So so maybe talk to me a little bit about what what you felt. Like how did you feel you grew through that connection with nature? So connection with nature resulted in a feeling of wholeness. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a spiritual experience of feeling connected, the end of isolation, and then all of the accompanying things that come from existing in a state of wholeness. So this reconnection to nature is a fundamental um, thing that a human being needs to go to or go through in order to experience wholeness and to grow up and be part of this world rather than a scared child that's sort of away from it. And the more you connect with nature, of course, the the more absurd this uh, world of constructs starts becoming. Like it, it, It's the same world that you've always lived and uh, seen, but you can start seeing its... Uh, uh, deception, I guess. It's a deceiving world. But this is not something that... Like, I don't believe there is some kind of elite out there who are trying to push us down or anything like that. 
we're caught in um, maybe the Buddha called it the wheel of suffering, um, or you can call it a generational suffering or a uh, suffering vortex or something like that. And there's a lot of pain in our society when we are born into it, this this world, we're born into a forgetfulness about our nature and there's a fundamental scarring in us that uh, takes place because we are not actually where we were supposed to be as homo sapiens, like we're mm. supposed to be in the wild, but we're growing up in this world and there's a fundamental detachment from the world because we, we can't embrace it fully because it doesn't seem real to us. So then um, the most real thing that you can experience is nature, the most... The truest home that you have is the, the body that you inhabit, and it belongs in nature. So um, healing really cannot take place in a human being until, until they've come to that part of themselves and that acknowledgement. So I find my story with food started taking me down this um, Paleolithic uh, perspective and I started questioning all sorts of things about like, how I walked and how I moved and uh, shoes that I put on my feet and the pillows that I used and the beds I slept in and my relationships with people and my view of myself and my view of others and all these things were now up for um, debate again I had sort of become really rigid like all of us are about the way that we see the world but when I saw that how the so-called experts had sort of really made such a big mistake about my own health and that they hadn't actually challenged uh, long-held assumptions, I thought, well, what are these assumptions that I can um, challenge at the moment? And it became really tiring to sort of um, just look at every assumption one at a time. So I threw them all out, you know, and I threw yeah. all my assumptions out. And I just started working from scratch, just re-engaging um, with my intuitive self, the one that is not conditioned by wilderness, sorry, by uh, capitalism and mm. uh, a lack of wilderness and uh, re-establishing that voice within myself that can give me a compass and that one is always always pointing towards nature you know when it comes to the food and the behavior and the environment and all these things it always points to nature as as home and as the the end um place for healing like the ultimate place for healing so this this has been my experience mm, beautiful so um Let's talk a little bit more specifically about about how we can make um, the right choices or how we can educate ourselves um, yeah. once we have gone through this process of of connecting with nature because that's okay so let's establish that as kind of like a absolute fundamental uh, process in rewilding ourselves renaturing ourselves um, whatever language we choose to use becoming more free and empowered humans yeah. now that let's assume that we've gone through this process of connecting with nature i know that in my own personal experience a whole a whole uh series of things just started automatically happening <laughs> from that like you you become interested in new things right it's like yeah all of, for all, sure yeah all of a sudden for i'm sure. on a permaculture course and all of a sudden yeah. i'm reading new books <laughs> and looking at new yeah. blogs and listening to new things and becoming um you know more more uh, educated in indigenous practices and things yeah. like this so, yeah, well, come come have a look at my bookshelf because it's got a book on every one of those topics that you've <laughs> just mentioned, you know. And yeah. it's it's and why? Like why is it that we find that this is the interest that we go that we that attracts us, you know? It's because 
our DNA still sings for this stuff. It still wants it. It craves it. You know, if it, mm. if it doesn't get that, it's a nutrition that it's lacking. So like, uh, I find people really funny. They'll say something like, I'm just going to go in the sun and get some vitamin D. You know, it just makes me laugh so much because I look at the sun as the, you know, the source of all life on this planet. <laughs> you know, every living thing needs sunlight and <laughs> we wouldn't have life without it. And actually, when you go into it, there's like a thousand biochemical processes that take place in your body when you're underneath sunlight. And uh, it's not just the vitamin D, but it's just a symptom of our reductionist society to actually take the, the the sun and say hey it gives us vitamin d and then to pill form that stuff and shove it down people's throat as if it's actually going to replace the life source of the planet so um you know the, this kind of altered perspective on on these things comes from the respect for the natural world so once you become uh, aligned with nature and the seasons and you understand the growth cycles of plants and animals and migration of uh, animals and the importance of them for sustainability and the health of the ecosystems and things like that you can't help but live in a magical world you become you're living like an avatar world you know what i mean like it just feels like everything's alive everything's harmonious everything's talking to each other and it's such a, a, a beautiful experience to uh, to have that kind of shift in your the way that you think so i guess that's the um the, the what what the freedom that it gives you like the, what nature gives you that freedom and that kind of holistic view rather than a reductionist view so mm. someone who's who's spent their life in, in an office would say vitamin d pills and someone who has been unplugged will say you know the the source of life on earth you know and and we're talking about the same thing but like what i'm talking about just gives me at least in terms of pleasure and joy it gives me so much of that in in my life mm. and i think this life is a, is a search for happiness like we're all on this path because we want to experience joy and happiness and love and connection and um the this kind of view that has become made that has been made vast because of my connection to the natural world brings so much inner joy and that radiates out in my activities and the way that I deal with people and it's changed me fundamentally from being someone who is very focused on uh, you know security and making enough money to to live and you know all that kind of stuff to, to really going down to the deep things that just make my heart joyous mm. and 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 isn't that what we want? Like we want to experience true joy and connection. Mm -hmm. And and this is, we live on this planet. Like you can't get lost on this planet. You know what I mean? Like you're in it. There's nowhere, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And, 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 um, and that's the beauty of this kind of embrace that we're held in, you know, like mm -hmm. everywhere we go, we're tapped into the breath. Everywhere we go, our hearts beating, and everywhere we go, we're nourished by our environment. And once we actually realize that and see it, then man, like it takes the burden off your shoulders that you've been carrying all your life, thinking that you've been walking alone in this life and that you've been, uh, you know, uh, having to fight your own battles. But then just uh, you see how this planet supports life and that you're it. And um, once you're in line with your path and purpose then um, you can truly start enjoying living and i don't think you can before that yeah i think what one of the themes that's coming up for me in this conversation is is how what we're really talking about here is i don't even want to use the word holistic because it's sort of getting overplayed but we're, we're yeah. talking about like a 
a, a whole scale shift in terms of the, the way one chooses to, to show up in, in life as a human. Um, and this is, this is in opposition to the cultural pattern of, oh, I'm just mm. going to, I'm just going to swap one for one. I'm just going to band-aid solutions or, mm. you know, I'm feeling a bit fat. So I'm just going to like cut my carbs out. Um, and then I'll be happy. Um, or, or whatever it is, or bulletproof coffees. I'm just going to change my coffee to bulletproof coffee, but, and then I'll be high performing because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Asprey said so. Um, or I'm just going to get into ketosis because I hear that if I get into ketosis for a month, then my then my brain will start functioning better and I'll be happier. And it's just like all of these all of these things. I just hit like oh, I'm going to do a meditation course. I'm going to go on a retreat. All of these things. When does it end? By the yeah. way, this stuff, hey, like totally. that's that. It's one hit after the other. Like you change one negative vice into a positive vice, I guess. You know, like and but the true happiness is what we're looking for, and it seems that we continue that kind of approach of acquiring and um, creating activities that will give us these temporary hits, while we're searching for something bigger that comes and lasts and stays with us. Where, you know, where's the solution? How does something come and stay with us? You know, what? and I guess this is what you and I talk about is this lasting happiness. But, I mean, you, you talk a lot about flow and that mm. state of flow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's your perspective on it? The, um, is flow in a state that you achieve or a state that you realize? So what, what's mm-hmm. your, um, how do you see it? Yeah, so... You know what my, my perspectives on flow are. It's not that they're controversial. It's just that they're they're not mainstream. Like there's there's a lot of people who write about flow states, and it's very much a, a fleeting state mm. of consciousness. Yeah, like some sort of extreme state of immersion caused by the right mix of challenge. Um, and my, I call I call that like say you're surfing on a wave, or or you're, you know riding down a mountain on skis and you're going really fast like i call that kind of like immersion like a micro flow state yeah and but what i'm and and i find of course i find that fascinating and attractive and i and i achieve a lot of that but it's not really that that interesting to me like i'm Mm. i'm more interested (laughs) i'm more interested in like macrocosmic flow yeah gotcha (laughs) and macrocosmic flow is is more like um very simply put it's living in the flow of life or ha- harmonizing with the frequency of the universe or with nature. Um, so this is very much a realized state, you know. That's and it. Yeah. This, is, this, is re- this is why I'm ve- very interested in everything related to all the different ways in which we can become wild. Because yeah. wildness is, is, is the foundation for living in perpetual flow. Right. And, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And it's like all the things that domestication brings – um, whether that's conditioned social habits, um, conditioned n- nutritional habits, um, movement habits, like wh- whatever it is, all of all of these things are are essentially anti-flow um, because they yeah. they take us further and further away from our from our um, our wildness, which is why I'm I, I I I I'm not yet sure 
how to approach like i've got people it's not, in my it's not formulaic yeah like no, it's not something not you can just yeah you can't say to someone what well, you do this 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 uh, wildness is also a realization wildness is something you go oh my god i never knew that this is who i am and um the, this is like i'll tell you a little story about something that happened to me recently after my daughter got sick and she she got really um completely like this feverish 40.5 degrees or something 40.3 she got up to and uh, i didn't give her any medication we just sat next to her and watched her until her body mounted this incredible immune response got it up to 40.3 and then her fever broke and and then that just became such a big thing in my head of going oh my god like she's five years old and she never would have had the um, ability to intellectually fight off that disease like her body knew what to do so well i was just so fascinated and happy um and it's a trust that has never been allowed in me so i've never been allowed to trust my body in that way Mm. um so then I went through th- this uh, look. I went through this deep meditation to look at my own relationship with my body, and I realized that the way I've always spoken to my body is um, really abusive. So I have this um, conversation that says, "Like you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not fast enough, you're always in pain, you're too fat." All these things that I've said over and over to my body, and then when I really, really saw that, I saw it so clearly. Like if I had a dog, man, and I was doing that to it, I'd be put in jail. I would be completely uh, thought to be like a, a heartless um, mm. person who's just like completely abusive. But I have this com- like super abusive relationship with my body. Mm. And I, I just felt so upset and so sad that uh, the way that I, was tr- I had treated it. So I started apologizing to my body. I was mm. like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, man. I'm yeah. so sorry. And yeah. I thought I was going to have to say it like a thousand times. But very quickly, my body was like, because it realized this kind of forgiveness that I was asking for was real very quickly. It said, all right, all right, that's enough, man. Let's, let's go play. Let's go enjoy this life. And this kind of energy that came back into my body after that incident was just amazing. And I'm still like buzzing with it now, but this was a realization that I had actually been living in a, in mistrust with my own body, despite the fact that I'm a, a food educator and a health educator, all that kind of, I hadn't actually come to the bottom of this realization myself. And the, the realization came in the form of knowledge and wisdom rather than just the cerebral knowledge where you can say to someone, oh, you've got to love your body. And they go, oh, yeah, you know, like, I know what that means but they don't actually do it until they've felt it and this relationship with the body then when i saw saw the body was like that i saw its animal nature i saw the the way that that it is actually like a homo sapien it's a it's a human animal and that it it has its needs and its desires and the things that it needs physics physically to be uh, healthy and the you know that's why we take dogs to to parks and nature is because they need it and we need it in the same way uh and that realization is only a partial realization of wildness because wildness is a physical wildness the realization that actually you are an animal that's one thing and that's a deep and huge realization to actually realize because you've been uh, sectioning yourself off from the remaining species on this planet saying well they're something that i'm not well no guess what you're the same 
as as they all are. It's just that you have uh, concepts that have separated you from them, but you're nowhere different to who they are. So that's one aspect of wellness is the physiological one. The other one is the the mental perspective of the world, the way that you see the world, the emotional way that you see the world, and the physical uh, sorry the spiritual way that you see the world. So all these things are aspects of wildness, and to be able to give someone a lesson on wildness is, you know, they might understand some concepts of it and they go, oh yeah, I never saw it this way. But wildness is a seed that you need to tend to and you need to let it grow inside you and you need to nourish it and protect it and give it everything that it needs and it gives back multifold, it gives back in all these aspects. Mm-hmm. And there's no no other aspect of the human uh, being that is as important to foster as wildness. There's no other. It's just the most important thing to foster in, in yourself, you know, gives you so much freedom and yeah. all those things. Yeah, and wildness wildness is a seed we must water um, whilst also realizing that the seed has been planted in an increasingly hostile landscape. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking like the last couple of weeks I've become more and more aware of of the you know this concept of screen addiction and you know digital the way that my neurobiology is getting basically altered so that I I've got like I'm not the only one but what I've become aware of this like the physical habit of like of my right hand thumb which my ancestors definitely did not have, but it's like um, this scrolling down thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I love it, bro. And it's like I can pull my phone out and I can, I can click the password and, and, and all of that happens subconsciously now. Like mm. It like comes out of my pocket, a, a few buttons are pressed, it's open, I've pressed an app and I flick down with my thumb. All of these things just happened. Um, yeah, that sounds like flow state to me, man. I think you, you should foster this stuff and just you know teach people how to do it. They'd love it. <laughs> it's, a, it's 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 like it's an artificial malignant piece of code that's that's yeah. been, that's been put in there. All right, all right. but but like you know, let's let's sort of um, maybe we're taking it to to uh, a really far extreme here. Like we obviously wouldn't be able to have this conversation if it weren't for this technology, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think we need to acknowledge that this technology is not going to go away at all. Exactly. And uh, it's only going to get more and, mm-hmm. and more available and probably within the next 10 years it's going to be a chip in someone's brain. Uh, and that's, you know, like that's the way I see it. And but, <sighs> you, you know, the the thing about this is we need to understand the dangers of it and we need to be very conscious when we use this stuff and to only to to really be aware of the hacks within our own biology that allow the manufacturers of these device whether they intend to or not to um i guess hack into us and make us more and more addicted to the technology itself and the, the apps that we use in it. So it needs to be a very rigid, uh, structured approach to this technology that we're using. And we have to work with that in order to avoid the pitfalls that come from it and also use it for good, you know, use it for the things that we need to use it for, like for our work and for reaching people. Because there's never been a time in history where... Yeah. 
two two blokes like you and me who aren't celebrities um, we don't have any media behind us we don't have anyone who's financing us to be able to reach the numbers that we're reaching just like you know i don't have a, a the face of a aussie celebrity you know i would <laughs> never be able to to be you know this guy who who bring the message out so the technology has just been so helpful for this but it is a double edged sword like like anything you know yeah like, for sure absolutely. but i'm 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 interested in the solution space around here mm-hmm. i mean you know we we'll get back on track to talk about the solution space around the, f- the food uh, yeah. situation but it's i mean of course we have to accept double edged swords everywhere and then it's and then the path of living more consciously is is to bring new levels of skill sure. um, into this, so we don't get yeah. cut so often. Um, but it's like, how do we? How? Let's move back onto food here because this is a perfect segue back onto the food. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because like sure. things like as it's almost like when I go into the supermarket these days, or the whole mm-hmm. foods, or the whole foods shop, or wherever. Um, the 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 more I know, the harder it becomes um, to yeah you know to to fill my shopping basket up. Yeah, I agree, man. And and this is the scary reality that we're living in. But I I would also say that um, maybe five years ago you'd go into the supermarket, Willie's or Coles or whatever, and their organic section was one shelf if they had one. Yeah. But now they have like half an aisle dedicated for this mm-hmm. stuff and maybe 10% of that stuff is actually food and the rest is just organic poison um, but um, but the demand is, is creating the supply and this is what we need to do we need to continue to create awareness and increase demand for these things because the positive byproduct is um, sustainability of farming which is a and, and also water security so these mm-hmm. things when when they're addressed correctly through holistic farming practices, then we can guarantee food security for Australia and you know at a global level the world itself and that's a really really big problem because the rate of desertification of arable mm-hmm. soil is alarmingly high, so we've got all these uh lands which were beautiful farmlands now turning into deserts because we've been we've actually sprayed pesticides on the soil and killed the microbiome in the soil the fungi the bacteria and um even the worms that look after the soil so um health is a, is a top down approach and a bottom up approach so um what that means is we need to take uh, responsibility for our individual health. So the way that we shop and the way we make our own decisions to the best of our ability need to be supporting the businesses and the products that we uh, believe in. And um, it also needs to be a top-down approach in where we uh, force our politicians to be enlightened to this uh, idea and to have them make change at a societal level that becomes easier the more numbers we have so the more people that we you know we become the larger the numbers the easier the influence that we can exert is mm-hmm. so i guess you know we the job is is twofold looking on educating yourself which is a very tricky thing. A lot of people, like, uh, I, I get a lot of people who are turning vegan, thinking that that's the way to go to become healthy. Mm. And, uh, and that's really scary. 
And then we have on, on the other side the political machine, which is very, very strong and very difficult to deal with. And then behind the political machine is industry and money. And that's very, very difficult to deal with as well. So why is vegan? Guess, why is why does it uh, why did you use the word scary when you well, talked about the well, vegans? Veganism is I, I believe first of all veganism is a, a diet of affluence there has never been a single um indigenous or wild culture or traditional culture on the planet that's ever been vegan there will never be an instance of time when a mother is in the wilderness with her baby and she sees a few eggs and she's starving and she's gonna go and say no i'm vegan i'm not gonna eat that or if she comes across honey and there's honeycomb or like the hunter comes across it, they're going to go, I'm not going to eat that because that's sort of like a destructive to the beast. It's against our nature as homo sapiens to deny uh, ourselves animal products. Uh, I understand veganism mostly um, is um, a lot of people have a lot of pain and suf- suffering in their heart towards the industrialized food system, which is atrocious when it comes to the way that it treats animals and uh, enslaves them. And it becomes a far left response to a very difficult and ugly thing. Um, but it's not the way that we're meant to eat. So we have to separate the perceived ethics from the reality of biology for one thing. And also um, we have to look at holistic land management with animals in it because that's the most important thing that we can do for the soil to regenerate and for us to reverse desertification and ensure that we can uh, you know, be looking after the planet with uh, correct custodianship. And then also it's a, it's, it's a deficient diet. Like you have to supplement with uh, things that you just don't get on a vegan diet. So it's not really a, a mammalian diet. Like it just doesn't, well, not for an omnivorous mammal such as ourselves. And um, if you uh, divorce yourself from um, eating animals, then you're missing out on an opportunity to investigate spiritually what it means to actually kill and to uh, to get meat for yourself. And if you don't investigate that, then that's an aspect of wildness that you're not investigating. And veganism, to me, isn't a wild diet. It's actually like opposed to that idea because um, it assumes that we we don't live in the wild because if we did we'd of course be hunting and killing animals and eating it you know like that's what we've always done for millions of years as homo sapiens like there's no denying our nature mm. so I don't know that's that's yeah. my view of it do you agree what do you think yeah yeah I'm with you 100 percent on 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 that one um, you know it's as you said before, separating the ethical argument away from the biological one is is one that some people just seem unable to do, so it all gets mushed together. Um, but also I've heard the argument that, you know, we there's a responsibility to um, to sort of like move with the times in the sense that uh, we're now living in a time on a planet where the number one threat is agricultural, industrialized food production. Mm. So therefore, that requires like a radical response to pull away any sort of energy away from from that thing. I agree. I think that's definitely necessary. I think industrialized food is terrible. So, um, but that 
that's sort of going under the assumption that uh, the industrialized food is meat and that when you go and eat your uh, spelt flour or whatever it is that you're eating, that this has been grown in a monoculture that has been destructive to the earth. That's not true. Mm. Monocultures are extremely destructive to, to the planet. And, and holistic land management is extremely important to actually have animals on the land. So you can look at the work of some uh, a man called Alan Savory, who uh, is regenerating deserts by intensive grazing. He's actually intensively grazing land back to being fertile. Mm. Sounds crazy, but it's true. Or the work of Joel Salatin from Polyface Farms, who yeah. has the highest yielding um, uh, farm on the planet using animals in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's our responsibility. So this is the common fight between vegans, vegetarians, uh, paleo people, all of us. You know, It's to actually realize that we're together in the way that we see things around the industrialized food system and that that's what we should be fighting. But um, we should be fighting things like caged eggs, of course. We should be fighting things like caged chicken and uh, slavery, pork, and all that kind of stuff. Definitely, definitely we have to. That's Mm -hmm. the the worst thing we could be eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a farmer that is holistically managing their land and they're getting eggs out of it are organic from pasture-fed uh, hens and um, they they have beef and lamb and uh, that, that they they grow ethically and sustainably in a large pasture you know this is definitely how we should be eating i'm not saying eat a lot of it but it's definitely necessary for your health but then also examine that relationship between yourself and, and animals and what does it mean to eat an animal and mm. And and be confronted with this idea of death because a lot of people they they don't even you, you know have they you gone don't, don't I have yeah I, I've hunted since I was a, a, a seven year old I've been I've been going hunting so um main, main in Lebanon I grew up hunting birds and I, I fish a lot and uh, so this is uh, um, fishing is a is a form of hunting you know but and I guess this. Um, there needs to be this confrontation with the fact that, hey, man, like if I'm going to eat an animal, um, this there's been a transfer of life here. There's a vital force that's come out of this thing and into me, and I have to acknowledge that. But it's the same with plants. Totally. The same thing that's going on with plants. You know, That's why I tell people to eat, uh, like rehydrate their chickpeas rather than to eat canned chickpeas is because there's still the vital force and like chickpeas that have just started to sprout you know they're actually alive mm. this is this is what we do as human beings you know we life eats life this is the symbol of the snake eating its own tail that all the ancients have known and drawn uh, since time immemorial and it's a symbol an acknowledgement that you know for our life to be here other life must be taken and then our life when it goes away it'll you know, if we were actually buried in forests and things like that, then there will be food for those animals. You know, mm. that's what we'll turn into. Absolutely. The, yeah. it's, uh, but, but it's that divorce from our wild nature that makes us uh, second guess ourselves, you know, about this, uh, this actual ethical dilemma. If we were hunter-gatherers, then, man, they call us hunter-gatherers. You know, like that's actually the the name of our species, you know, like the, 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 the hunter-gatherer. That's what we've always been. So we're hunters and gatherers. We've hunted for 
millennia or millions of years. You know? mm. So do you have a, so you, I, I understand you're living in the Blue Mountains, which is obviously a conscious choice. And I'm sure that um, a lot of it had something to do with uh, your closeness with nature and potentially your food sources. Are you, are you growing? Are you living on a, do you have any sort of food forest going on where you're living? I just um, came into the Blue Mountains uh, in May. So we're just starting to understand the land here. And we don't even know what all the trees that we have on the property are. Mm -hmm. So we're letting that happen and take place. We're trying to understand how the sun moves around on, <laughs> in, the, you know, in the garden and mm -hmm. the backyard so that we know what we put in there. And we're just taking a slow approach towards it. Currently, we're doing a lot of composting and working with uh, with that here, so that we can. The soil in the Blue Mountains is really, really bad. It's not very good for growing, you know, for farming. So um, we're working on regenerating the soil, looking at a few different methods around that. There's an amazing method called Back to Eden about composting wood chips, which provides a lot of um, nutrition for the soil. We're looking into that as well. I've got a few things growing. You know, I've got my Mediterranean herbs like the um, the parsley and the mints growing, the tomatoes growing, cucumbers, eggplants, that kind of stuff. I've got a small patch of that going on at the moment, but um, it'll be next year mm -hmm. that I've figured out really what the go is and I'll be able to grow a lot more stuff. Awesome, man. That's uh, that's incredible. Yeah, I can't wait to take that next chapter of my life as well. I've been um, my wife and I both, um, yeah, I've studied some permaculture, and that I really would like to let the, the listeners know out there that um, about the potency and the and, and the clarity and the the logic and the reason and just the amazing amazing richness of practical tools and mindsets that is within the, the sort of permaculture uh, world. Mm. Um, like I've, yeah. I'm, I've studied a lot of different stuff from the esoteric to the, to the highly reductionist rational in my life, but permaculture just was so straightforward. It was, it was so like, it was so like applicable. You can go, you can use the principles on a, in a, just in an urban terrace. You can use the yeah. principles on, on 10 acres. Um, so yeah, I really they they use permaculture principles in software engineering even these days. So it's a it's a very wide kind of uh, set of principles that can be applied to any, anything, not just growing food. Yeah, so it's a it's a really good life philosophy to uh, suck into yourself. Absolutely, absolutely, excellent. So we're coming to the end of the discussion. Um, one thing I'd just like to to ask you, Fuad, is just a little bit of insight around. Um, your daily habits, your weekly habits, just some of the things that, that you've consciously built into your life um, to experience happiness. Yeah, so I've moved away from living this um, city life, you know, having a lot of traffic and things around me like that into being in a quiet, calm home. And my reason is... I've, I think the, the best thing that I can experience on a daily ba basis as a regular form of uh, like regular feeling to have or to be in is peacefulness. Mm. I find that to be like the, the best thing. Like I still love having a wild time and getting adventurous and going crazy, but maybe that that's maybe 10% of my time, you know, mm. like the rest of it is just i'd like to be peaceful and and uh just happy but not you know overly excited because it's just the most kind of 
flowing way. And mm-hmm. I go back to this little, um, you know, song that we learned as children. You know, you know that one, row, row your boat gently yeah. down the stream. You know, so I, that is one of the you know, the most significant songs I've ever heard in my life. And it's crazy because it says, you know, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily. Life is but a dream, and I feel that this is how I want to live my life. I just want every day to be like a gentle rowing down the stream that's already going downstream. Like this life is taking shape in itself. Um, I'm not. I don't like forcing. Uh, a reality onto mm. life itself it, it, it'd be absurd for a tree to say well i want to grow a branch here and a flower there it just its life takes place um just by it being in its natural environment and uh, you know working with the input of what whatever takes place around it so i'm led by my life's energy so if my energy in in morning says um go do your yoga or go for a bushwalk i go do that go for a swim do that drop the kids off to school do that i don't have these types of habits that most people have i just don't i've never been a, a habit person anyway um, and I, and I don't find them to be necessary for me. I really love just, um, trusting that I'm going to make a good decision and not be lazy all day and do all that kind of stuff. And it's really easy to, to not be that way when you're actually doing something that you love. Like we usually like procrastinate when we're doing a job that we don't like, but when you're in line with your life's purpose and mm-hmm. it's expressing itself naturally, you go with it. You go with the flow of life and, you know, just also remember it's just a dream anyway. It's here for one day and at one point it'll be gone. So I don't take it too seriously either, you know. So I show up for it. I do whatever it requires me to. I'm fully engaged in it. But at the same time, I just, I, I laugh mm-hmm. at life, you know, and Glad I go, this is a, awesome. You're yeah. a flow master. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thanks. Life is a dream. Don't take it too seriously. That's that's it man. that's it <laughs> wonderful thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom Thanks, your philosophy yeah. your story um we really appreciate it so just tell us once again where the listener can can find your 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 work sure so um i'd love it if you guys could follow me on uh, instagram on i'm on ifood blog and i'm on instagram as for Kasab health maybe i'll send you those things so you can put them in the show notes but i'm also uh, you can find us on facebook at quirky cooking which is the business's uh facebook page and at quirkycooking.com.au so uh, you can find us all around, and uh, and if you're in the Blue Mountains, uh, you can find me somewhere having you know a bushwalk, or we can hang out for a coffee. So I'm really that. always looking, looking for like-minded people uh, who are just trying to live this way and to connect with people like that. So it's really nice to connect with you, Jiro, and to have this wonderful conversation. Mm. And, uh, really appreciate it, brother. Mm. And um, looking forward to meeting you in mm. person one day too. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Fuad. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, man. What an interesting guy Fuad is. I hope you enjoyed that philosophical foray into uh, Fuad's life and his um, ideas around food and nutrition. Um, It was very interesting to learn about his ideas of uh, domestication versus wildness as they tally up very closely to my whole flow state philosophy. Um, and I love the way he described how our DNA is singing for, for this, for, for whole foods. Our DNA is singing to be in wild spaces. We have this deep inner yearning within, within us. 
as it's not it's so recently that our ancestors were roaming around living more wild lives and we still have this urge within us to be in nature just like a dog has the urge to go and run around and play um rather than being cooped up in an apartment or a house that's the same as us we have this urge within us and the extent to which we allow that urge we feed that urge will really determine the extent to which we feel happy and live fulfilling lives and flow so if you enjoyed that show please consider checking out flow tribe .co. This is a community uh, that we at Flow State have put together, have attracted of like-minded people all on the path of self-awareness and uh, learning through experiments, through trial and error, through um, the conscious absorption of um, philosophical and wisdom and uh, just, yeah, just learning from life. If you're the sort of person that likes to live and flow, that likes to learn wisdom and embody it and take action, then please consider joining us at flowtribe.co. So we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.